0: Know you know three weeks ago when I stood up here and preached my last message, uh, and starting this new series on ever after, thinking about our death, I didn't know God was getting me ready for what was going to happen for my family over the past couple of weeks. And so I just want to say thank you so much to everybody. Many of you know my father passed away two weeks ago uh, tomorrow, and so uh, my family's been walking through that. And just want to thank everyone for reaching out to me and my family for your kind words and prayers. Really, I can feel those prayers and you know, as you're walking through a difficult time like that, it's amazing how the Lord proves himself to be faithful. And I'm so thankful, honestly, that my dad walked with Jesus. And that was a different kind of experience when somebody knows the Lord and they pass away. Amen. It's a different kind of experience. It uh, doesn't mean we, gr- we don't grieve. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says, we grieve, but we don't grieve as ordinary men who have no hope. And so we hopefully grieve as Christians. So that's where I've been the past couple of weeks. And I'm ready to get back on the saddle here and move ahead, and if nothing else, uh, what I've been through the past two weeks has created a a deeper sense of urgency in my own heart uh, to talk about these things and make sure that everybody under the sound of my voice understands these concepts because they're that important it's the difference between eternal life and eternal death and so we're going to be in the next few weeks talking about what happens when we die we're going to talk about heaven we're going to talk about hell and we're going to just really think about and understand from the scriptures what that looks like in our ever after and so we're going to pick up a, where I left off and where Alan and Nick spent a little bit of time just in the introduction here in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and then we're going to roll into Luke chapter 16. Now, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we don't have time to do the whole chapter, but in the verses previous to this, it's a description of a person and how they get old. And man, I'm feeling that. I feel like my right foot's about 85 to 95 years old right now. We get old, right? We we, we age and things happen. Listen to this from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, starting in verse 6. Solomon, the wisest man in the Old Testament, said, Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. I mean, these are like descriptions. They're very depressing things, okay? Uh, Everything's breaking down. The silver silver cord is severed. The golden bowl is broken. The pitcher is shattered. I even got a wheel broken at the well, okay? Verse 7, though, describes this reality of human existence. And I want you to listen to seven intently. Solomon says, "And the dust returns to the ground it came from." Now think about what's describing, what's this being described here about dust. You know, you've heard people talk about ashes to ashes, dust to dust, particularly when a body is committed um, in a burial service. And I want you to think about that picture because there's a dichotomy that's described here: the dust returns to the dust from which it came, the ground it came from. But then it says, "And the spirit." So there's body and their spirit. And the spirit, where does it go? Does it go in the ground? No. It says the the spirit returns to God who gave it. And as he's describing this state of our existence, he's describing how our bodies break down Okay, he's describing that as you age, as you think about your life, as you think about your death, to not forget about the Lord, because one day you're going to stand before God. One day your spirit is going to go to the Lord, and He's going to decide what to do with your spirit, and so you need to understand and be prepared for that day. And Solomon here uh, describes uh, this state of our physical bodies in depressing ways. The silver cord severs, the bowl breaks. The pitcher shatters, Your, your back starts hurting, your foot starts hurting, the wheel breaks, your body breaks down, in other words, your body breaks down and your body dies. But Solomon tells us that at your physical death, your spirit is released, your spirit is set free. And you've got to think about your existence, your conscious reality. You are a spirit. Listen, you're a spiritual person encased in a physical body. And so at your death, when your physical time comes to an end, your spirit is actually set free, we're told, in Ecclesiastes 12.7. And your spirit that was given to you, by the way, by God, is given back to him. Your conscious self, your spirit, your soul, that eternal part of you that is encased in this temporary physical housing, then returns. As we're told in Ecclesiastes 12.7, it returns back to God. You return back to God when you die. And it's at that point that God will determine uh, the destination, if you will, where your soul spends eternity. He sets the course of your eternity at your death. And you can try to avoid it, you can take all the vitamins you want, you can go work out at the Y, you can elude it, you can fight it off, but the reality is is that it's coming and you're going to stand before God. Your spirit is going to go back to God and your eternal destination at that moment is in His hands. And this is hard for us as Western individualistic people because We are self-determined, a self-actualized people who determine our own course. We are our own boss. We are the captain of our own ship. But you need to understand that there will come a time when you stand before God and you can't tell God what to do. And at that point, you can't bargain with God because God will determine where you go. And you need to think about that and be prepared for that. In fact, I will say it this way. You can prepare yourself now so that when that time comes, you stand confidently before God. And you need to embrace this fact of your mortality because I believe believe as you embrace your mortality, it helps you to understand how you live your life accordingly. And over the past a few weeks in my own life, I've had to come face to face with the cold reality of death, and it is sobering. And you can put it off for so long, but death's going to happen. And as you think about that for a moment, I have a question, a couple of questions for you. Are you ready? Are you ready to die? Have you prepared for your own death? Because the time is now to get ready. And just to one-up Nick Smith, uh, Andy Minier wraps this. He says, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. (laughs) If you were here last week, you understand that. When you die... Your soul, your spirit is set free from your earthly body and your body, as we're told, uh, goes into the ground. The dust returns back to the, the dust. By the way, Adam's name in Hebrew, Adam means dirt. I don't know if you knew that. Adam came from dirt. Adam's name is dirt. His, and from dirt he came, and from dirt he's going to go back. This is part of the curse. His body will return to the dust, but that, that means that his soul, your soul, your spirit is then dislodged. It's now set free from your body, and it goes back to God, the giver of your spirit. So point number one is Sheol is coming. Now let me explain Sheol to you. This is a, t- a term in the Old Testament. Think of it this way. It's a it's a, a subject. Uh, that has a capital S. It's it's a formal name for a generic state or a general state. And over these next few weeks, we're going to describe what the afterlife looks like. But you need to understand that the Old Testament, how, how the Old Testament frames a death or the afterlife, it uses this term. It refers to death as Sheol. Now, I've got a little picture for you, but I'm going to I'm going to refer back to this chart. I'm, don't worry, this is not the end of the chart. The chart keeps growing. It will keep building over the next couple of weeks. But from uh, Ecclesiastes 12.7, we're told our body dies, our, our body returns to dust, but then our spirit is released. And I need you to see that, that the spirit is released into the afterlife or what the Old Testament refers to as Sheol. Again, it's a, it's a general State, but it's a formal name, it's kind of a poetic name, if you will, kind of like what we say about the grave or the hereafter or the great beyond. Let me give you an example. And I, I, I usually use the NIV version when I preach. I'm going to use another version, an online version I love with study tools from the original language called the Net Bible, the New English translation. And I love, I love uh, how th- they give some of this nuance. I'm going to read a passage to you from that net translation, but then show you how it was interpreted into uh, the modern vernacular. And it actually uses the word sheol. It's just in an NIV. So, you know, the NIV is written on about a fourth-grade reading level. That's why I love the NIV. And you can buy, usually buy a copy at Walmart. That's why I preach from it. But sometimes there is some specificity that I want to give here. Listen to this from Psalm 49, verses 14 and 15, found in the net Bible. They will travel to Sheol. There's a capital S, that place, the great beyond, death. They will travel to Sheol like sheep with death as their shepherd. The godly will rule over them when the day of vindication dawns. Sheol will consume their bodies and they will no longer live in impressive houses. But God will rescue my life from the power of Sheol. Certainly, he will pull me to safety. So listen to this from uh, the NIV verses. Same, ver- same two verses, but again, instead of using the capital S, Sheol, it gives us this broader understanding. Again, from the NIV, they are like sheep and are destined to die. That's where it says to Sheol. Death will be their shepherd, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in Sheol, or in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem me from... Sheol, or the realm of the dead, he will surely take me to himself. Let me read to you one more psalm, Psalm 16, that gives us a little better insight here. The psalmist writes, Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices, my body will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to Sheol, or the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. There's this description here even in Psalm 16 of this joyous place, a place God has for his people where there are are eternal pleasures and joy in the presence of God. So I want you to, even just from those uh, Psalms that you just read, to understand that that there is this generic uh, referent in the Old Testament of the grave or of death, or of the place that we go. There is a state for us after our spirits leave our body that is referred to as Sheol. Now, a lot of this is poetic and very generic in some ways. It's uh, vague, actually, in the Old Testament. And Thankfully, when Jesus describes the afterlife, again, Jesus is in the New Testament. Jesus comes after, and Jesus gives us some qualification, if you will, of what Sheol actually is about. What we're going to read is in Luke chapter 16, and it's a parable that Jesus told. Now, remember, Jesus uh, told many stories like this. Again, parables are are fiction, but they they have insight, and they give us some picture. And I believe Jesus here describes uh, Sheol, or the afterlife, and he describes two different compartments, two different places, two different divisions as we think about Sheol. Now, what I want you to understand also is that this idea of the afterlife as we would describe it is a temporary holding place. There's actually a permanent a permanent time, and we're going to get into that over the next couple of weeks, a permanent place where these will actually, at one point, the, the inhabitants of those places will eventually land. But here we have Jesus describing uh, this, uh, this reality for two p- different individuals, two men who pass away. Listen to this in Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. There was a rich man, that's the first guy, who dressed in purple and fine linen, and lived in luxury every day, and at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. One of the grossest sentences in the whole Bible, verse twenty-two. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels listen to this. So there's this this man in poverty, he is ushered into this place uh, by the angels. He dies, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom or paradise or heaven. On the other hand, the rich man also died. We don't have his name. The rich man died and was buried. He has... A different reality. His body's stuck in the ground. Verse 23, in Hades, where he is. So we've got Abraham's bosom on one side. We've got Hades on the other. Hades or hell, what we would call hell. Verse 23, in Hades, where he was in torment... He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. We're going to stop right there. We're actually going to complete all that in coming weeks. But I just want you to to kind of focus in at this moment on these two places, these two people that Jesus is referring to in this story because there are differences that we can find in the contrast of these two men. They're two life experiences, but also they're two eternal realities. So we have here two men in two different situations or two different stations. First, we have the rich man. We don't even have his name. He's never named here. But what we do understand is that he's very wealthy. We're told he wears the color purple, which is kind of like, I'm just kind of braggadocious. It's the color of royalty. It'd be like wearing Gucci or Louis Vuitton or Versace. He's like he's uh, wearing gold bling, and he's driving exclusive sports cars that the doors flip up. You know what I mean? This is, this is what it means when it says, this is a wealthy man dressed dressed in purple And how he carries himself. He's living a life of opulence. It's obvious here that the man was well taken care of. In fact, uh, he lived so well that this poor Lazarus guy on the outside of his house, on the outside of the gate, who's there to beg for food, for crumbs from the man's table. The man doesn't go without. Let's put it that way. He's living this extravagant life. He has the luxury of recreation, of pursuing his wants. Much uh, like uh, the 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 world's population uh, doesn't understand this man's existence, this rich man's existence. I mean, you understand that, right? Like majority of the world's population. Uh, is concentrated solely on what they will eat their next meal. They, they don't have the luxury like you, ha- you and I have of what we might do with our free time because every bit of their existence is focused on trying to feed themselves and their families and to not uh, have some kind of shelter for the weather that's happening around us. You realize that's the majority of the world's population. I mean, even as I read this, I have to... Read it with the lens that I'm, I'm, more, I'm more like the unnamed uh, wealthy man than I really am of this man Lazarus and what he had to, what he had to uh, endure. This rich man had whatever he wanted. In fact, we're told in verse 19, he's living a life of luxury. That word luxury in the original language means to feast sumptuously. This man ate what he wanted. When he wanted, he lived a life of, of denying himself nothing. In fact, he's, he really embodies What Solomon describes in Ecclesiastes 2.10 when he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. This is, if we could define uh, in, in an Old Testament verse, the American hedonistic ideal is that verse right there. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. By the way, that's how many people are living today. Maybe you're living like that. Maybe you're not denying yourself anything. You're just pursuing your sinful passions. You're living for today. Just giving yourself anything that you might want. Because this is the goal of American hedonism. To have wealth and freedom and recreation and luxury. Sick. Really. This this man though. This unnamed man in Luke 16 embodies uh, how many of our, our neighbors and how some of us have even chosen to live. Reminds me of Jesus' teaching about our investment in the world in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 37. It's the opposite. It's what Jesus was concerned about for people. Listen to this. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me uh, will, and for the gospel will save it. What good is it For someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul. That is a rhetorical question that demands an answer. And I want you to think about what are people forfeiting their souls for of the things of this world. Jesus said, you can have everything the world has to offer. You can live like this man we've been describing here uh, in this passage who had everything at his disposal, lived as he wanted to live, had the luxury, had recreation, had all these things, never went without a meal. And yet he missed it in eternity. He forfeited his soul His best life was lived on this earth, and when he got to the afterlife, it was squandered. He forfeited his own soul. The other question Jesus asked in verse 37 of Mark 8 is, Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? How valuable is your spirit? What can be given in exchange for your spirit? And what do people exchange their spirit for now? You realize we live in the wealthiest country on the planet heard someone say one time, America is the only country that's got fat, poor people. Think about that for a minute. So many people in our culture are scratching and clawing for the whole world. All that the world offers and yet forfeit their soul. This was the rich man's plight. He was unprepared for eternity because he was focused on the here and the now. And I want you to contrast for a moment the opulence of this wealthy man's existence here now with dirt poor Lazarus, as we're told here in verse 20 of Luke 16. Listen to this man's existence in Luke 16, 20. At the rich man's gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores Do you know that the name Lazarus means the one whom God has helped? What an irony to live your entire life with the name, the one whom God has helped, and yet you're standing there at the the gate of the wealthy man, and you've got a listen. You've got a, a position to hear and see all that's happening in that rich man's house. You're on the outside looking in. You're at the gate, looking in the gate, watching this man live in all of his opulence, watching him roll up in all of his chariots and all the the, the regalia of the the purple robes and all the feasting and everything. And here you are on the outside looking in hoping to get a crumb from his table while the dogs are licking your sores and your name means the one whom God favors he had no idea God's favor was coming later it wasn't for that moment here's Lazarus he's helpless he's poor he's hungry he's hurting He appears to have a miserable existence. He's got a dumpster die from the wealthy just to find crumbs to eat. He's evidently battling such a sickness that he physically cannot fight off the dogs that are coming to lick his sores. I mean, what kind of condition is that for that man to be in? It's a meager existence. It appears that he lived a miserable existence. I've had the opportunity to visit some of the poorest places in the world in some of my travels and... It's always a shock to my system to see people who are scraping by to have a meager existence. This kind of insecurity is really foreign to most of us because, yeah, we'll complain about our grocery bills being higher or our gas being higher. But quite frankly, many of us will dial back our travel or we'll eat out less or we'll cut back on the fun money on the margins just to make some ends meet. But we have no idea what it's like to live like Lazarus. I mean, if given the choice, for any of us in the room, which one would you choose? Would you take Lazarus's existence or would you take the rich man's existence? Just be honest with yourself today. Which one would you choose? Why? It's a life of comfort. I have to ask you this question. Which one more closely resembles your current day-to-day existence now? Are you scrounging for lunch today or is it pretty well set what you're going to eat? Did you have choices of what clothes you're going to wear to church today? Did you have to fend off any dogs who were trying to harass you as you're laying there helpless? Do you have the luxury of recreation? <laughs> Things that you do with your free time. Do you have multiple cars? Do you have a closet full of clothes? These men were living too vastly Different. Listen, they're in the same location. They're on the same GPS spot. One's outside the gate, one's inside the gate. But they had totally different earthly experiences. One had a, a, a life of luxury. One had a life of destitution. Now, what's interesting is these men had such different existences while on the earth, but they all had one common destination. Look at verse 23. The time came, we're told in verse 23, the time came when the beggar died. By the way, that's everybody's time. (laughs) The time comes. The time comes for the beggar to die. And consequently, we're told here the rich man, a little bit later in verse 22, the rich man also died. So these men lived parallel time frames. They they both die, but they, they go to two different places. One goes to Abraham's bosom or paradise, and one goes to Hades or hell. And this is the last point. Everyone spends eternity somewhere. Jesus uses the parable here, the contrast here of these two uh, destinations, these two men, to describe the two destinations of our soul. If I could qualify with my graph here a little bit and just take it another step. So we have Sheol, the afterlife, if you will. When you die, your body goes into the ground, your spirit leaves, and there's one of two places within Sheol, or the afterlife, that you can go. One is paradise or what was called Abraham's bosom here in the passage. other is called Hades or or hell. Notice, if you will, uh, in this generic place called Sheol, there are two compartments and there's something in between. There is something that separates those two existences. Listen to this again from verses 22 and 23 of Luke 16. The time came when the beggar died. And the angels carried him to Abraham's side, or paradise. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades. Okay, there's that place. They're separate. They're different. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw. There is a a, a chasm. There is a separation. There is a, a great gulf between paradise or Abraham's bosom and Hades. He says he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Now, again... We don't have a whole lot of description here at this point. But what you need to know is that they had totally different existences on earth. But guess what? They've got totally different existences in eternity. And the roles have now been reversed. (laughs) The one that lived in opulence, the one that had all the things at his disposal, is now in a place, as we're told here, of torment, of separation from God. And it's a terrible existence to think about this, this idea. Now... Again, what we can look back on and understand is that we die. We die. And your body is dedicated back into the ground. And your spirit is set free to Sheol. And Jesus here reveals two distinct compartments, two distinct sides here of Sheol that we're going to spend the next couple of weeks in our study here on this, on this matter. But I just want to focus on the truth revealed so far and what we've talked about. Number one. Even though these men had differing situations in life, they all had a common destination. And that was, they both died. That was their ever after. Even though they had opposite experiences, both have the same final trajectory. In fact, Jesus casually refers here to their imminent death as the time came when they died. Everybody's time is going to come. Rich, poor, tycoons, peasants, Americans, Iranians, Afghanis, all have the same fate awaiting them. And ironically, these men, their time is over. Their destination has already been set. I think it's interesting. We don't have the rich man's name. His name has already been forgotten. But his years of luxury on the earth are now eclipsed by what he has to experience in Hades. Likewise, Lazarus, whose name means the one whom God has helped, is now in the favor of God. And, he, and he, he now is experiencing God's favor. And whatever temporarily he had to go through before his death, now he gets to experience the favor of God for eternity, eternity future. And we don't have all the details of Lazarus's spiritual condition, the, 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 uh, uh, the um, poor man here. But he must have been a, a man of faith because we're told here that the eight, listen to what it says. Go back to that passage. The angels were told, ushered him into this place, ushered him into the presence. This is the common ancestor for all the Jews, a uh, father Abraham, Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom. He is collected now into uh, his uh, into into the presence of God, and with his ancestors, and he is now gathered up with the faithful people. And that's beautiful as you think about for us as believers because we're told uh, in Romans that we have been engrafted into that same family tree. We are engrafted into Abraham's lineage and promise through Christ. And we get to experience this same place of eternity and God's favor. And I'm so looking forward to that. But we also have to reflect on the rich man here. Because he wasn't ushered by the angels into Abraham's side. We're told his body went in the ground and then his soul went to hell. And his experience is a lot different than what Lazarus' experience is in the afterlife. In fact, we have a little taste here in verse 23 of what the afterlife is like for those in hell or in Hades. Verse 23 says, In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. Now, we'll talk more fully about this later, but what you need to hear already in the description here is that hell is a place of torment. What does that mean? Well, you and I talk about Jesus dying for our sins. Jesus took our punishment. Jesus died on our behalf. And by faith, we trust in Christ and our sins are forgiven because Jesus absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf. He loved us enough that Jesus died for us. Jesus died so that we don't have to face eternal death. But what about those who don't trust in Jesus, who don't allow the punishment of Jesus, the death of Jesus, to be in their place? Well, they will pay the price for their sins. See, Christians, we, we have to embrace and we, we worship Jesus because he paid the price for our sins. But you need to understand, for those who don't trust in Jesus Christ, that they will have to pay the price for their sins there for all eternity. And as much joy as it is for us to be forgiven of all of our sins, it's also a heavy, dreadful sorrow for those who are unforgiven. Because they, listen, we believe Jesus paid for our sins. There will be a place where others have to pay the price for their sins because they did not allow the blood of Jesus to be applied to their lives. Think about that for a minute. Torment. But also it's a place of separation. We're told here... That the rich man is able to look across some divide, some chasm here, and see. He's able to see from a distance. There's a separation there. Hell is the absence of God's goodness. It's the absence of God's provision. It's the absence of God's people. It's a dreadful, dark place, both in spiritual and physical terms. It's a place that this rich man is definitely not accustomed to. He was used to having everything at his disposal and the charmed life of his luxury. But now he's going to have to face it. Eternity paying the price for his sins, separated from God. If I could sum it up this way. The rich man lived his best life before he died. And had to face the worst of his life after he died. Lazarus faced the worst it was ever going to be. Before his death and after his death, he gets to experience now, because of his faith, because of God's grace, he gets to experience the beauty of Abraham's bosom in paradise with God forever. He gets his best life later. And the challenge that Jesus positions us to think about is, where are you going to focus your attention? Is it wrong to be wealthy? No. Is it wrong to let wealth be your idol and to worship it and it to be your place of of security and it to be that thing you look to for identity and purpose and meaning? Yes. It's not about all the poor people get to go to heaven and all the rich people go to hell. That's not the case. If that's the case, we're all in trouble because we are the wealthiest people on earth. You know, 9% of the world's population own a car. Think about that. I think it's 2% own two cars. You are two percenters at least in the room. I'm glad that's not the case. I'm glad it's not some kind of equal, equalizing here that God does that in the afterlife. It's, it's about this. What are you living for? Who are you living for? Wealthy or poor, it doesn't matter. Who are you living for? What's your focus? Where are you going to spend eternity? That's what you got to live for because what you live for is what you're going to die for. And what you're going to die to. And that's a beautiful picture that we have here of Jesus saying, you know what? It doesn't matter. Your identity is not wrapped up in what you had to go through before death. All that matters is what God has for you, the plan he has for you. How awesome is that? So I got a question for you. Are you ready? I mean, if anything the past couple of weeks have taught me personally is, You need to be ready. You don't know when. Nobody knows the hour or the day of when there may pass. And you know what? Jesus may come back before then. I'm kind of praying for that. Anybody else? I'm I'm good with that. He could come back. Or you could die. And when that happens, we will be set free from this earthly existence. We will be standing with God. And God gets to determine, as we're told from Ecclesiastes 12.7, our spirit goes back to God. And God's going to send you somewhere. Where's he going to send you? And why? We have two destinations referred to today. Everybody spends eternity somewhere. You realize there's 7.88 billion people, 7.88 billion people on the earth today. That's overwhelming a bit. Every one of those has every one of those individuals has a spirit, and every one of those individuals are going to spend eternity somewhere. Now, first and foremost, you need to get yourself right. Are you ready? If you died today, where would you go and why? I pray that you're right with the Lord Jesus Christ, that you've trusted in him for the salvation of your sins. You've confessed him as Lord. You have confessed him with your mouth. You've believed in your heart that he is risen from the dead, and you've committed your life to him. If that's the case for you, then you go into your ever after prepared. If you're not ready, my prayer is this makes you think a little bit, because you need to get ready. If you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. Secondly, every believer in the room, if this is is true, if what I just described is true, it's not just true for you or for me, it's true for your neighbors, it's true for your family, it's true for your community. There are so many people that aren't ready. There are so many people living their lives like that wealthy man in the scriptures. And they think that's what it's all about. And at the end, listen, when it's game over, when it's all said and done, and they don't know Jesus, they go to a place called hell. And are you okay with that? Or will you spend your existence like this wealthy man in just do your own thing. Live your life for yourself. Live, squander everything for your desires and sparing your life, your desires, nothing. And waste this opportunity. That's what I don't want to see. Oh, Christian, can we have a sense of urgency in this moment?